We're in 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, for the sake of the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I am grateful to God, whom I worship with a clear conscience, as my ancestors did, when I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. Recalling your tears, I long to see you, so that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that lived first in your grandmother, Lois, your mother, Eunice, and now, I'm sure, lives in you. For this reason, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Do not be ashamed then of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel in the power of God who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. And this grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, but is now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For this gospel, I was appointed a herald, an apostle, a teacher, and for this reason I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed for I know the one in whom I have put my trust, and I'm sure he's able to guard the deposit I have entrusted to him. Hold to the standard of sound teaching that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you with the help of the Holy Spirit living in us. The word of God. You may be seated. What we just read is the beginning of a letter from 2,000 years ago. The author is getting some gray hairs. He's old for his day, but not for ours. He's probably around 60. It's not old friends. Getting too close, okay. <laughs> he survived more than his fair share of shipwrecks, beatings, stonings, all for the sake of what he calls the good news, and now he finds himself in Rome, in the heart of the empire, imprisoned. We call him, he calls himself, Paul. Paul. He senses this may be the end. He's had a trial, but he's waiting for the sentencing, and as you read this letter, you can tell that he's anticipating that this might be the last letter that he's sending to this beloved mentee. Paul is Jewish through and through. His mentee, Timothy, has a Jewish mother, a Greek father, and is probably in his mid-30s. Paul is old enough to be Timothy's father. He calls him son. He'd met him on his missionary journeys, convinced him to come with him to go plant churches, and entrusted Timothy with the church in Ephesus. And Timothy is devoted to spreading the good news of Jesus. If you don't believe it, you gotta read the story. He's so devoted to spreading this good news about Jesus and meeting people where they're at that he agrees to be circumcised as an adult. That, friends, is devotion, okay? 
Timothy's faith came to him through his mother Eunice and grandmother Lois. And I'm so happy that these women are named. I'm so happy they are because they're named because they're part, they're not perhaps leading a church like Timothy, but they're part of Timothy's spiritual genealogy. Who is part of your spiritual genealogy? Who are the people that have passed on the faith to you? I can mention a lot of relatives and teachers and community members in my own life, but I'm gonna choose one, and that's my maternal grandfather, Eric Webster, the one we named our son Eric after. Now, I would like to show you a picture of the two of us from when I was a preschooler. Let's see, there's Grandpa. Grandpa and a very little Raywin learning how to mow the lawn. My grandfather passed on the faith to me. And for the, about the last five years, I've been writing a book. I'm getting close, I'm getting close, amen, by faith. It's called In Grandpa's Shoes, and it weaves his story and my story together and how our lives have been impacted. And our wonderful lead pastor, Pastor Icky Timey, actually read my book, thank you so much. <laughs> telling the story of how it weaves together. Some of you were in a life group um, back in the spring of last year, um, and this is how we look now. I've grown up, and Grandpa just turned 95 this, this last year. We are indebted to the people that have come before us and, and passed the faith onto us. And for Timothy, it's Lois, Eunice, and Paul. Second Timothy, one verse five, I am reminded of your sincere faith, Paul says, a faith that lived first in your grandmother, Lois, your mother, Eunice, and now I am sure lives in you. For this reason, because you've been given such a wonderful gift of faith, because it's been passed into your hands, because of this reason, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. Boy, I put my hand on you, Paul says. Rekindle the gift. Don't lose sight of it. This, this word rekindle in the Greek, it literally means fan the flames or make the fire come alive. It reminds me of a fire that perhaps you've been camping and it's gotten late and, and the fire's died down, so it's just the embers, you know, the nice marshmallow kind, roasting kind of embers, but it's there and it's there, but Paul says rekindle it, make it shine bright, make the flames come up, fan it up. Fan up the fire, Paul says. Why? Not only because of where the gift has come from, not only because he passed it on, not only because Timothy received this through the, the act of the community laying on hands and saying, God has something for you, God has a plan for you, not only because that, but because of the gift itself. What has God given us? Paul tells Timothy, for God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. Sometimes in the Bible we hear about fear as a good thing, like the fear of God, but this word for fear is never mentioned as a good thing in the Bible. No, this fear, uh, translated here as cowardice, it refers to a person who flees the battle, who deserts, who runs away. Fear can make us run from the fight we're supposed to be in, can it? It's hard to believe it's been eight months since the Russian invasion of Ukraine. When it first happened back in February, who could have imagined that we would still be here today in this 
war. And I remember at the moment seeing the people hunker down in the underground stations and other people going to their local community and saying, where are the weapons? I'm ready to stand up and fight. And Mike and I were talking about this, Mike, my husband, and I said, I'd be the one hiding in the underground subway. <laughs> I'm not going out there to do all that. And you know part of it, why I felt that way when, when the invasion first happened? Is I honestly thought it was a hopeless cause. I thought, why are they doing something that doesn't seem to be succeeding? I would be the one, one hiding, but Ukraine is still here and proved a difficult foe to fight. Somehow they learned how to push through fear. Ordinary, everyday people learned to push through that fear and not to run away from the fight that they're called to be in, how to use their power. Do you know how to use your power? My two-year-old knows how to use his power. It can be extremely frustrating, friends. A couple of weeks ago, Eric succeeded in turning a 45-minute bedtime into a two-and-a-half-hour bedtime, literally. Instead of completing the next step in our routine, he could think of everything else to do. He played songs on Alexa, turned the lights off and on, made seemingly endless requests for water, checked on Desmond, and this is pretty cute. Goes and looks, Des Desmond, Desmond, are you okay, Desmond? Hello, Desmond. Like, can we just get the pajamas on? That's all we've been trying to do for the last 30 minutes, right? He wants to go potty one more time, wash his hands, use the hanitizer, is what he calls it. He wants another hug, a back rub. And the fact that he's learning how to use his power is incredibly frustrating as a parent, but it's good. It's developmentally appropriate, right? But somewhere along the way, friends, many of us grow up and get too scared to use our power. We struggle with running away, too afraid to face the battles that you and I have been called to fight. What are you afraid of? I know what scares me. People scare me sometimes. Ever scared by people? It's not people in general, but this question, what if they reject me? I started pastoral ministry right after graduating here at La Sierra and was called to a church down in San Diego that will remain nameless, but I love them. I love those people and they loved me well. And just yesterday I was at the dentist and I met a new dentist at the dental office and he said, did you used to pastor down in San Diego? And I'm like, uh, do, we, do I know you? Um, 20 years ago, and he happened to be a friend of one of the key members there at the church that I love down in San Diego, where I started. But it was a struggle for them. I was their first senior pastor. Um, no, I'm sorry. I was their first female pastor, is what I meant to say. <laughs> they had had many senior pastors and other pastors, but none who happened to be female. And when I arrived, the very first Sabbath, printed in the bulletin, um, it didn't say assistant pastor, it said pastoral assistant. I found out that not all the elders had voted to have me come, and my senior pastor shared with me once uh, an email that had gone to him that this elder was sickened to see 
a woman serving communion. I had a dream once while I was there that the church board voted that I should be crucified. That was my dream. And I remember telling my senior pastor about it and he reminded me later that I said, well, don't they know that that's gonna hurt? People, what if they reject me? Are you willing to use your power to follow your calling despite potential rejection? What else? Performance, what if I fail? What if I don't get it right? And friends, this is why I procrastinate. You know why? Because I, I want it to be perfect and I just cannot get it down because it's not gonna be perfect. And so I wait and wait and wait until the last moments because maybe somehow in the rush at the very end, it will help it be more perfect and maybe I would be less likely to fail. But you know what? That strategy backfires every time. What if I fail? It was Dr. Fritz Guy who took me aside when I was here last year in college and he said, Raywood, I just have to tell you something. If something's worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. Dr. Guy, if something worth, is worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. Remember that. Don't be afraid of failure. Why else might you be afraid of the power that God has given you, the gift that has been passed on to you? Why else might you be afraid? It might be because of possessions. What if I lose my treasure, dot, dot, dot? Now, this might not be physical possessions. This could be anything that you possess. A relationship, a dream, a goal, something that you possess that you're afraid that if I say yes to God's call, I'm gonna lose that thing. Before I got called to go to Victorville as a lead pastor, I was in a relationship. And in that relationship, I was uh, in, uh, dating another pastor for quite a while. Um, and they were concerned about the potential of having two pastors in the same family. And I was hoping this relationship was gonna be the one. And I had to make a choice. I'm gonna say yes to this call and trust God with whatever happens to this relationship. We're gonna say no to this call and try to protect this relationship. It was a struggle, a possession, something that I had, someone that was close and precious and dear to me. And in the end, I am so grateful that I laid it on the altar and said, God, I'm gonna say yes to your call. I'm gonna trust you with what happens. And I have an incredible husband today, and I'm so grateful. Now, it may not always turn out that way. Paul, after all, is sitting in a Roman prison about to be executed. He's gonna lose everything, his treasured life, all his relationships, but yet he says, I trust in Jesus that he is able to hold what I have entrusted to him, everything that's precious. I've given it to Jesus to hold for me and therefore I am not afraid, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Then he gives Timothy a very difficult invitation in verse eight. 
says, do not be ashamed then of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me. Where? Paul, where did, where did you say you, you're going? He said, join with me. Where are you, Paul? You're in a Roman prison. You want me to come there and bring your coat? What? Join with me in suffering for the gospel in the power of God. What an invitation. To follow the call of Jesus, are you willing to accept that people, they may reject you? Performance, you may fail, you may. Possessions, you may lose them, you may. That's the bad news. But Paul still says, do not be ashamed then. Do not be ashamed then in verse eight. What's the then? Back to verse seven. It says, for God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. I love the Greek word here for power, a spirit of power. It's dunamis. You might recognize it as dynamite. You have been given power. This word can be translated also abilities, a mighty sign, or a miracle. In other words, Paul says, you have not been given a spirit of desertion, a spirit of running away from the fight you're supposed to be in, but you have been given a miracle, a miracle that's been handed down to you. You've been given a gift. Maybe this morning you're sitting in the pew and saying, Pastor Raywin, you might have a gift. Maybe the people around me have a gift, but I think the gift giver forgot about me. I don't know of a gift that I'm called to rekindle. So I was walking out this building one day after one of our meetings, and behind me I heard some of my wonderful pastoral teammates, colleagues, singing a song. We don't talk about Bruno, no, no, no. And I had not heard it yet. And they were like, have you been living under a rock? So they, they didn't say that. But I was like, what is this song? And so then I had to go and, and watch the movie Encanto. The movie follows a multi-generational Colombian family, the Madrigals, led by a matriarch whose children and grandchildren each receive gifts from a miracle that helps them serve the people in their community. Everyone received a gift except, some of you seen the movie, I think. She was not given powers at her gift ceremony when she was five. And it turns out though that the 15-year-old Maribel has a gift. What is her gift? Some analysts of the movie suggest that she has a gift for being the one person all her family members confide in. There's a miracle in Encanto. The miracle is represented by a candle, a candle that's flickering less and less, a grandmother's attempts to protect it and the family that end up backfiring. Finally, the grandmother says, I was given a miracle a second chance, and I was so afraid to lose it that I lost sight of who our miracle was for. The power, friends, that you've been given, the gift you've been given, and you have been given a gift, even if you think the gift giver missed you, the gift that you've been given 
It's not power for power's sake. What did our verse say today? A spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline. Power and love. The word here that Paul uses for love is agape love. It's the same word from 1 Corinthians 13. If I have prophetic power, understand all mysteries, all knowledge, all faiths, roof mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, hand over my body so I boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Friends, we need more people willing to put themselves in harm's way, not for the sake of power, but for the sake of love. Amen? We need more people willing to exercise self-discipline, not to attack others or their family members because they disagree with them, but for the sake of love. We don't need more perfect people. We need people who know that they've received a gift and are willing to use it in God's power for the sake of love. We need people who are willing to fight the good fight of love in this world. And you have been given a gift. You have your own superpower. Maybe you've seen the t-shirts or the mugs that say, I'm a dad, what's your superpower? I'm a mom, what's your superpower? I'm a nurse, I'm a teacher. I saw today, I'm a trucker, I'm a flight attendant. What's your superpower? One of mine is being an editor, though I definitely don't always get it right. I wanted to apologize today if you came expecting a massage. <laughs> or if you came last night expecting a really fun, wonderful experience in time. Um, that's actually tonight. And this is a message, not a massage. But normally, being an editor is one of my superpowers. I want you to think about what is your superpower? Is it being a host of people? What comes easier to you than it seems to come to other people? What is the gift that God has given you? What is your superpower? And would you use that superpower in ministry here? Would you think about using it in ministry here? If you've signed up for our newsletters, you should have gotten an email at 11 a.m. or a text message at 11 a.m. If you don't have it, go to lostair.church and sign up for our communication so you get it. But we have our current list of volunteers in all of our different areas. Our ministry placement team has been hard at work helping people find a place to serve. Our list is not perfect because your name is not on it. I know someone here, your name is not on that list. Please go to lastyearchurch slash volunteer and someone will call you or text you and help you find a place to get involved, a place to serve. Friends, you might be afraid of other people that maybe you won't get along with people or maybe you feel that rejected, but this is, this, these are good people here, I think so. Or maybe you, you have a fear of failure. I was talking to someone just this week who uh, thought maybe cafe would be a place. And I said, do you know Chris Mallet? And they said, yes, we know Chris. Do I have to cook like that? I said, no. In fact, you don't have to cook at all to help at cafe. You just have to be able to take food from one table to the other table and smile at people. That's all you have to do. 
there's a place for you to use your superpower here. So just before we sing, I want you to think of that one superpower that came to your mind and tell your neighbor what it is. I'm a good listener. I'm a host. I'm a patient person. I'm a, what's your superpower?